Welcome into the FKC Show. I am your host, Benji Wright. Today we are talking about stupid parents, the science of the Ouija board, and the Axeman of New Orleans. In the summer of 1918, the city of New Orleans was paralyzed by fear. In the dead of the night, the Axeman committed a series of vicious, sometimes murderous attacks targeting Italian grocers and their families. Some he left wounded, others he killed. That wasn't crazy enough. The Axeman demanded that on a specific night, every house in New Orleans must play jazz. If they weren't, he'd break in and kill everyone inside. That is freaking bonkers. We got a lot of crazy stuff to talk about today on the FKC Show. Come. It is time to keep your appointment. That's not real. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? It could be. Come and play with us. Nah, that's not real. I am your worst dream come true. I'm everything you ever were afraid of. God, I hope that didn't really happen. <laughs> Welcome into the Fun Kids Comedy Show, guys. I am Benj. This is the FKC Show. It's a podcast that I do live on Twitch with a live chat room and friends in Discord. I then take the audio and I edit it down to podcast form. I hope, I hope to God that you really enjoyed today's podcast. And if you are curious about watching me do this show live, you can find me on Twitch at The FKC Show. What is The FKC Show? It's a show about the weird, where we make fun of shit we don't understand. And with that being said, let's get started. The first story that I wanted to get into today, it just kind of fucking sickens me, and it's the direction that YouTube is going, and why is that still an entity? I have no idea, especially if nobody's making any money on it anymore. I can see, because like this guy right here, we'll get into him and talk a little bit about about him. So, YouTuber suspended for cool prank, cruel prank on his own kids. A father has been temporarily suspended from YouTube after videos of him playing pranks on his kids have been labeled as child abuse by a uh, cyberbullying expert. Cordero James Brady runs the YouTube channel CJ So Cool, which has over 5.6 million followers. The father of four regularly vlogs about his family, which has helped uh, their income. I think that's their main source of income. Uh, but he recently came under fire for one particular prank in which he fed his kids laxatives. While this particular video has been removed, others remain like the video where he cut their hair or pretend to feed them dog poop. In a really brutal video, he sets off fireworks in their room while they're sleeping. In the drowning prank, he pretends that his girlfriend's infant daughter has just drowned in the pool. As she comes running out of the house, he shouts, It's a prank, sucker! Yeah, I don't know about that. I think they're... I, well... You look at how young they are in in the picture there, that they would fall for it. You know, you can't you can't get them to act out their reaction. So yeah, that's that's fucked. But as you can see, you know, this is what they do. They tour. They make money on it. This is their main source of income. Stuff like that. I don't I don't get. You know, I think it is it is bullying. Even beyond just fucking with his kids mentally. He is exploiting them, which is even worse. See, why is YouTube even allowing him to make an income? And, and what does that say about our society that he's got 5.6 million followers? Ah, uh, man. 
Look at these little kids. I'll bring them up again. Yeah. So there's five of them. Please, dear God, tell me. Please, there's a Lord above, and all is just, and there is such a thing as karma. Which of these young, loving souls will grow up to Menendez, that couple? Because, <laughs> right, why is she allowing him to do this to her kids? Why is she allowing him to fuck with their minds? I don't, I don't, I don't get that. Parenting is crazy. We'll get into the next one now, which is just fucking insane. Um, and, and, and the whole idea, I get it. It's stupid. So parents are now paying tutors to teach their kids how to be better at Fortnite. Not for the kid's self-gratification, improving his ability, but to keep the kid from being tormented and bullied at school. Coaches are being paid about $25 an hour to help improve the skills of people that, that are embarrassed by their gameplay. The website Gamer Sensei has hundreds of coaches, many of whom specialize in Fortnite. And they charge anywhere between $10 to $25 an hour to offer their services over the internet to help improve gameplay. So we got one tutor who calls himself Convertible, has played professionally for esports. Um, both in the U.S., Europe, and Korea, says that he was the head coach for Samsung's Fortnite team. And he said, a typical session with me includes a self-analysis of one's own errors, an individual analysis of statistics, and a VOD review. He also says, I will provide you with tips and tricks to improve mechanics and communications. Maybe I should hire somebody for Dark Souls. Yeah, Malignant, go fuck yourself. <laughs> right, kitty, you guys are my tutors. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I do, I do. Um, now, on the other side, um, I, um, I think this is a great opportunity for people that are really good at this game to make money at it, to give the tips. I mean, we've got people out there doing TED Talks on, on everything all together, right? Uh, but also, um, just like what he said, all right, convertible that he, he that he is making money playing for esports on other teams. Do you know that there are colleges out there that compete against other colleges and have their own teams like this? And and you could get a scholarship to go to school. That's the craziest thing right there is that that schools will will pay you to attend their school and compete. On their team. Some of the coaches on Game Sensei are now being employed by colleges to help coach their teams. One coach on the site, Luke Keller, who specializes in Overwatch, boasts a $20,000 scholarship and coaching salary to coach at the university. Right? So he's getting the scholarship and he's getting paid to go to school to play Overwatch. That's crazy. Yeah, in 10 years or so, esports is going to be mainstream. Oh, I totally believe it. I totally believe it, Radical. Southern Georgia has their own video gaming team. Yeah, and we're not even talking about, you know, that th this is higher learning. No, that th there's a lot of money to be made. You know, you look at how much schools are now, colleges. All right, m when I went to school, which was 89 to 93, um, 28000 was how much a four-year degree cost. Now... That's one year here at the U of O, 28000 a year. So you get out of school, like my sister-in-law has a, a, a 
major in psychology and her um, school loans are right about 90000 That's a mortgage. That's a mortgage. And she's been out of school for about eight years now. You know how many um, psychology jobs she's had? Not one. Not fucking one. Bro, the League of Legends World Series thing had more viewers than every major sporting event six, yeah, since the Super Bowl. I completely believe it. It's huge. It's huge. Just look at Twitch, what we're on right now. So I started in January. And over this last term, all right, so Amazon bought it, that um, there has been more viewers on Twitch than Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon combined. So, yeah, it is, it is huge. It's huge. All right, so on to our next story. The science of Ouija boards. So, apparently... Um, where was this done? Denmark. See, and why? Why are why are why are all these other foreign countries doing these cool ass fucking researches, right? Why why can't we get shit like that over here? You know, the science of lap dance. I, I, I might apply to be, you know, a study subject if they did that. That'd be all right, I guess. I don't know if you know this, but the board itself, we call it a Ouija board, but that board is called a planchet. No, the planchet is the thing that sits on the board. Excuse me. So you got the Ouija board, you got the planchet, you put your fingers on it, and you start asking questions, right? Well, researchers in Denmark conducted a study and found what sounds like a plausible solution for the Ouija mystery. What do you think it is? Do you think it's spirits? Could it be our own psychic projections? Could it be the devil? Could it be Satan? <laughs> um, Mark Anderson from the School of Culture and Society in Arias University in Arias, Denmark, led the study, which was published in the current edition of Phenomenology and the Cognitive Sciences. I'm going to take a second right there to celebrate my enunciation as Kitty was almost ready to hit send on you mush mouth motherfucker and your enunciations. I know you were thinking it. And right now, Kitty's probably in her own living room going, Oh my God, he said it correctly. <laughs> he and his team set up a test at a paranormal conference where Ouija board sessions were popular. Um, it was not a secret test. They had 40 participants who wore devices to track their eye movements as they watched the planchet's movements. Each pair participated in two tests. They had a traditional session where um, they asked the Ouija board their own questions and another where they asked, uh, were asked to deliberately move the planchet to yes, deliberately move the planchet to no, and deliberately use the planchet to spell Baltimore. I don't know why Baltimore. So, um, the researchers were watching for what they called the sense of agency. A feeling of control over one's surrounding. The SOA, as we're going to call it, was obvious in the second test. The participants knew the word and consist consistently looked ahead 
to the next letter, indicating their brain was predicting the next move. That wasn't the case in the traditional Ouija board use, well, for a while. When, when the participants didn't know where the planchette was going on its way to answer the questions, they had much less SOA and much less eye movement. However, as the word or answer began to form, the eye movement increased, indicating that their brain was calculating and predicting potential answers and sending their eyes to potential next letters, thus subsequently guiding their hands to guide the planchet to them. Yeah, Um, that makes total sense, because I don't know if you guys ever done the, you know the thing where they send you a text in scrambled form where, where you'll have You'll have like three of the letters out of place, but the first letters and the last letters are the same, but your brain can still read it. I think that's exactly what's happening right here is that your brain is seeking out the word. And as you don't know what the first two words are, so subconsciously the two of you are guiding it around. But as you get those first two letters, then your brain starts putting the words together and it starts spelling it out. So that makes complete sense. Yeah, does this mean that there's no spirits? behind the Ouija board. In questionnaires filled out after tests, participants who believed in the spiritual power of the Ouija boards were more likely to say that they felt that the planchet moved on its own. So you just had science show you that's not. It's a subconscious movement as your brain is putting the letters together, but still these people believed in it. That's crazy. While early letters in a meaningful Ouija board response appeared to occur at random, meaningful word options available to the participants decreased as the response from the Ouija board unfolded. Thank you so much for that follow. Beaky Wild, 341, welcome to the family, Beaky. So this in turn makes it easier for a pair of participants to collectively predict and unconsciously construct the responses from the Ouija board. Has science disproved the power of the Ouija board? You know, it's just a test. I would think that proponents would think that, no, that they, they, they're probably um, explaining more about the paranormal and its effect. I know that if, if I was dead and have no physical hands, but I could get in and try to project letters into a loved one's mind that's trying to summon me on the other side, yeah, I would focus on those first two letters, kind of like how you're playing, you know, uh, Wheel of Fortune, and then let them guess it out after that, right? So is it that there is no spirits? Or is it that the, that the paranormal is more, more connected to, you know, our psyche than we actually think? interesting article it gives fuel for each side it gives fuel for each side all right let's get into the craziness let's get into the craziness today i share with you the story of the axe man of new orleans was he a demon was he a deranged killer or was this the work of organized crime. This is an article that uh, I got most of the information from prairieghost.com, but it's a fascinating story that kind of walks that line of uh, paranoia, paranormal, and unsolved crimes. One of the most mysterious and still unsolved 
frenzies to grip the city of New Orleans came in the early 1900s with the arrival of the enigmatic Axeman. Who was this strange and terrifying creature? Was it a ghost, a ghoul, or something worse? <clears throat> it started in May of 1918 with the greatest boogeyman that New Orleans has ever known. His coming would bring a period of terror in the city that would last for the next year and a half. With the coming of darkness, the residents of New Orleans would spend each night listening to every sound, looking at every shadow, and would open their newspapers with trembling hands each morning to read of the atrocities that happened from the night before. The work of the Axeman. No one was saved, or so it seemed. To this day, the identity of the Axeman remains a mystery. Many believe that he was not a man at all, but a supernatural creature that was able to appear and disappear at will. There are others that believe that he was merely a demented serial killer who hacked off the heads of his victims while they slept. And also there's some that believe that this was an orchestrated effort, that this was a disguise for the organized crime that ran rampant in the city. <clears throat> On May 23rd of 1918, an Italian grocer named Joseph Maggio and his wife were butchered while sleeping in their apartment above the Maggio grocery store. Upon investigation, the police discovered that there was a panel in the rear door that had been chiseled out, providing a way in for the killer. The murder weapon, an axe, was found in the apartment, still uh, coated in the Maggio's blood. Nothing in the house had been stolen. The jewelry, the money, they were all sitting there, still in plain sight. The detectives quickly went to work on the case, and while several suspects were arrested and questioned, all of them released for lack of evidence against them. The only clue that was discovered was a message that was written in chalk near the victim's home, which read, Miss Joseph Magia will sit up tonight. Just write Miss Tony." Investigators began digging into old files, looking for possible cases that matched the Maggio's murder. And to their surprise that they discovered that there was three murders and a number of attacks, all against Italian grocers, which had taken place in 1911. The murders bore a striking resemblance to the Maggio crime in that an axe had been used in each and access to each of the homes had been gained through a panel in the rear door. These earlier crimes had been thought to be uh, a vendetta of terror that was organized by the local mafia. The police and the Italian residents in the French quarters, they braced themselves for the worse. Almost exactly a month after the Maggio murder came, a second crime. Uh, Louis Balsamer a grocer who lived behind his store with his common-law wife, Annie Harriet Lowe, was discovered by neighbors one morning lying in a pool of blood. He had been badly injured, but he wasn't dead. Beside him was Annie, also injured, but amazingly not dead. Both of them had been hacked with an axe. The weapon was also lying next to the bossomers and was also covered with blood. A panel on the kitchen door had been removed, and a chisel was lying 
on the back steps. And yet again, nothing had been stolen. After she gained consciousness in a charity hospital, Annie first claimed her attacker had been young um, and he was very dark. But later she changed her story to state that uh, Bosmer had attacked her. Well, the police were a little skeptical about this, never being able to ascertain how Bosmer could have attacked Annie and then fractured his own skull with the axe. And after he had recovered from his injuries, he was released. And I am assuming that after your, uh, you know, your common-law wife says that you tried to kill her after you both had been attacked, that relationship didn't last very long. All right, later in that year, this is in August, a woman named Miss Edward Schneider awoke in the middle of the night to a tall, phantom-like form standing over her bed. She screamed just as the axe fell. A few minutes later, her neighbors found her unconscious with her head gashed and bloody. Several of her teeth were knocked out. She too recovered from her injuries. A few nights later, another Italian grocer, Joseph Romano, was also attacked. This attack was just like the others, although Romano did not survive. He died a few hours later and was never able to provide any clues as to the identity of the Axeman. You guys are tearing chat up, by the way, with your, with your into windows that somebody had an axe to grind. He gained access. It was accidental. Very nice. Trying to bury the hatchet. <laughs> Killing me, Smalls. Killing me. So by this time, hysteria was sweeping the city of New Orleans. Families divided into watches. They stood guard over their relatives as they slept. People went about with loaded shotguns, waiting for news of the next attack, the next Axeman sighting. On August 11th, the killer was seen in the neighborhood of Tulane and Broad, masquerading as a woman, the rumor said. A manhunt was organized, but without success. And then on August 21st, a man was seen leaping a back fence, but despite a quick organized search party, the fiend escaped. Were these real sightings? Or were these merely, you know, fright-fueled imaginations of, of a city in hysteria, right? Did they, it, it's like the story that we were talking about the other day of, of mass hysteria with the alien sighting of the, uh, what is that West Virginia monster, the Flatwood monster? So while most so-called sightings can be attributed to panic among local residents, the Axeman did leave tangible evidence behind as well. Also on August 11, a man named Al Durant uh, discovered an axe and a chisel lying outside his rear door in the early morning hours. His back door had been damaged, but had apparently proved too thick for the killer to cut through. In late August, the rear door of Paul Labella's grocery and residence was chiseled through. No one was home at the time. The same day, another grocer named Joseph Leboff reported that an attempt had been made to chisel through his rear door in the night. Awakened by the noise, he had frightened the intruder away. An axe was discovered dropped on his steps. 
The following day, another axe was found in the yard of a Recknagel, who was also a grocer. Chisel marks were also found on his back door. You know, at, at one point, I'm thinking, you know, how many fucking axes are just randomly laying around the city of New Orleans? But then, too, you got to take into effect that this is a time that it, they, they, they're still in the process of putting in power. Uh, people are still using wood for heat and for cooking. So, of course, everybody had a fucking axe, Right. So on September 15th, a grocer named Paul Durrell found that someone had also attempted to cut through his rear door. A case of tomatoes had been resting against the inside panel that they had been knocked over, and this foiled the attack. In the early morning hours of March 10th, 1919, the Axeman struck again. It was perhaps his most terrible crime yet. Miss Charles Cordomaggi, wife of a grocer in Gretna, just across the river from New Orleans, awoke to find her husband struggling with a large man in dark clothing who was armed with an axe. As her husband fell in a heap of blood, in a, in a bloody heap, in a heap of blood, it's like the guy brought in a bunch of blood just to throw on the floor. Make it slippery. You know, it's, it's hard to defend yourself when, when you're slipping on blood. In a heap of blood on the floor, um, I'm going to say Miss Charles because that, that, that last name, Kodamanji, well, I didn't. I nailed it. I'm. I'm surprised. Miss um, Cordomanji held her two-year-old daughter in her arms and begged her attacker for mercy, at least for the child. But the axe came down anyway, killing the little girl, fracturing the skull of her mother. Shit. The police were once again stumped and fumbling to begin to suggest that perhaps the axe man really wasn't a man at all. Some claimed that. He might be a woman or a midget. Uh, I don't know. You know, you do have reports of a tall, dark figure. <laughs> what are they stacked three high? It's it's like the human mini centipede. So the the, the reports say that it was a woman or a midget, uh, enabling him to slip through small spaces that were cut in the door. But perhaps uh, others maintain that he was a creature from the world beyond. That he was a phantom. You know, how else, they questioned, could all of the witnesses describe the killer being such a large man when only a small person could have slipped through the chisel panels in the rear door? The killer had uh, to have come in through some supernatural means as each door was locked when the attack was uh, committed. So, following the Kodamaji murders, New Orleans was again filled with terror. The police started to believe that all these crimes they got to be committed by the same man a bloodthirsty maniac filled with a passion for human slaughter and perhaps they were right because on Friday March 14, 1919 the editor of the New Orleans Times the uh, fuck what is the name of that lake that's right outside of New Orleans Pukayani we're going to go with Pacchiani. The New Orleans Times Pacchiani newspaper received a letter from a man who claimed to be the axe murderer. The letter read, Esteemed mortals. Pontchartrain. Man, I fucked that up. <laughs> it doesn't even read like Pontchartrain. There's no, there's no T in it. Fuck. 
All right, back to the letter. Esteemed mortals. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth, I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest of hell. I am what you, Orleans, and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <coughs> Morning, Flam. Sorry about that. It does that. It, it's, it, it makes me sound so much evil when you have Flam. It's evil, Flam. It's evil, Flam. Now that I clear that out, I clearly get a more defined British accent. A little more understandable. A little more believable. Giving me a little more credit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me get back to where I was. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except for my bloody axe. Dismeared with blood and brains of whom I have sent below to keep me company. That is some fucking poetry right there, my friend. He goes on. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigation in the path. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph. Well, now we know Satan's real name. <laughs> Which, by the way, I have not ever in my life known a delightful Francis. They have all just been unsufferable dicks. But tell them to be aware. Or tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it is better that they never bore. That they were never born. Okay, okay. Da, 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 da. Typo. That they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. Fuck. Autocorrect. <laughs> I don't think that there was any need such a warning for I feel sure the policies oh no the police fuck alright I feel sure that the police will always dodge me as they have in the past if the if, if the axe man was a spirit right now he would just crawl through my window for you fucking uneducated moron could you just fucking pre-read this and pronounce it I spilled my literary guts into this Proofread it three times before I mailed it to the police, and you're making me sound like a fucking dullard. All right, go on. It gets better. Okay, thank you. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you, Orleans, think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, for I am in close relationship with the Angel of Death. Signed, sincerely, with love, the Axeman. <laughs> oh, shit. And does he take this to Francis for proofreading? You know, does the Axeman? It's like, Satan, Satan. Oh, I'm sorry. Francis, Francis. So, um... Just working on this little thing here. Could could you please just could you go over this for me? You know, I I want it I want it to be um, articulate, but menacing, but at the same time uh, loving. 
to let them know that I'm I'm not a complete douchebag. That there's there is a there's a means for who I kill and why I kill. I would oh and if if you could like do that within the next three hours, that would be great. Thank you. <laughs> Luckily, he will not be prepared for speech. Thank you for clipping that. <laughs> All right, so this is the this is the craziest part of the whole thing. All right, so he says that uh, I could kill, uh, but I'm not because I am I am evil, but I am merciful. So now, to be exact, at 12:15 Earthly Time on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am fond of jazz music. And I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time that I have just mentioned. I've been, I am, and will be worst the spirit that ever existed, either in the fact or realm of fancy. Holy shit. So basically, uh, you better be some jazz playing motherfuckers, because I am going to come through, and if there is not a toe to be tapping, I will cave in your skull. And so New Orleans, they did it, man. Everybody. I mean, the clubs were packed. The restaurants were packed. They were just jammed with revelers. Friends and neighbors gathered in the homes to, as they say, jazz it up. And Midnight found the city alive with activities. Banjos, guitars, mandolins strumming into the night. While Joseph Devarla, a well-known local composer, created the theme song, for the night, he titled his composition The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz, and in typical New Orleans fashion, it became a huge hit. When the sun rose the next morning, it was learned that not a single attack had occurred in the night. Even though it was doubtful that every home was filled with the sounds of jazz, the Axeman passed through the city and was well satisfied with the celebrations that were held in his honor. That's fucking crazy because this is 1919. They uh, so they they did have record players too. So if you couldn't if you couldn't afford to have a band because you got to know there weren't that many bands. I mean, I mean New Orleans is known for having a bunch of bands, but not not a not a band for every household. So all was quiet for a time until the night of August 3rd, 1919. In the darkest hours, a young girl named Sarah Lerman was attacked with an axe while she slept in her locked and shuttered home. She received a brain concussion, but she did recover. Although the woman did not die, the attack pushed hysteria back to a new height in the city. Miss Lawman was not the owner of the grocery store. She was not an Italian. Her attacker had not even entered through the, a door panel, but through a window. In other words, he could attack Sarah Lehrman, then he could attack anybody. So nobody was safe. It wasn't just for the Italians now. It was, it was anybody's guess. Was it really the Axeman? Was it a, a, an impersonator? Was it a copycat? No one knows for sure. On August 10th, a man named Steve Bocci, Bocha stumbled from his home on um, Elysian Fields Avenue with an axe wound to his skull, dripping blood. He managed to make it to his friend's house about a half a block away. The friend, Frank Ganusa, treated the wounds as best as he could and they called for help. Police 
They searched Boca's home and found the classic clues of the Axeman, including uh, the chiseled back door panel and the bloody axe laying on the floor. On September 2nd, a local druggist named William Carson uh, fired several shots at an intruder who had broken into his home. The intruder left a broken door panel and an axe behind, but he did manage to escape without injury. In August, the Axeman appeared again for a final slaughter. The grocer's name was Mike Pepitone, and he was butchered in his bed during the night. His wife and six children, asleep in the next room, were not touched. As usual, the clues had been left behind, but the authorities were no closer to learning the identity of who this axe man was. But the horror, it had come to an end. That was the last murder attributed to the axe man. He was never seen of, never heard of, again in New Orleans. No one would ever learn the true identity of the Axeman, or would they? More than a year after the Axeman's final appearance, a former New Orleans man named Joseph Mumphrey was shot to death on the Pacific coast. He had been killed by a woman named Esther Albano, who was later discovered to be the widow of the Axeman's last victim, Mike Pepitone. Police began working to try to untangle the mystery that probably linked Mumphrey's murder to the Axeman's case. Some curious coincidences were revealed during the investigation that Mumphrey had once been the leader of a band of blackmailers in New Orleans who preyed upon the Italians. He had also, for separate matters, been sent to jail just after the first Axe murders in 1911. In the summer of 1918, he was paroled at the same time that the Axeman appeared again. Immediately after the Pepitone murder, Mumphrey had left New Orleans um, and headed out to the West Coast. Oddly enough, at that time, the Axeman, he too had vanished. So in spite of, of all this, there is no actual evidence to tie him to the crimes. Was Mumphrey the Axeman? Was there several killers? Was it... One of these things that maybe it was a group that a small guy had gotten through the door, unlocked the door to allow a taller guy to come in to do the murders himself. But I do, I do know one thing. I think sweet justice was served out. I think the, the, the most amazing part of this entire story was the widow of the last murder victim recognized the axeman and killed him herself. That's an amazing end to that story. Do we need do we need to know what happened? No. I don't think we do. I think we know exactly. We don't we don't have to have forensics which was not even really a thing back in the time. I'm amazed that they were able to put stuff together back then the way that they did. You know, now we have modern technology and DNA to just you know, we don't even need to have your story. You can have a you can have an alibi all you want. You know, if if you come back and it's ninety nine percent Proof positive, you killed them. Then, boom, you did it. It was three stacked midgets. <laughs> right? It was three stacked midgets. Which, by the way, brings us to our sponsor. The FKC Show is brought to you by Three Stacked Midgets Moving Company. The worst part of moving is packing, but now with Three Stacked Midget, we make it an adventure. 
We have many themes you can choose from, like the Game of Thrones team, where you have your own crew of Tyrone Lannisters. There's the Wizard of Oz crew, or you can go straight on with horror with the Leprechaun. But be careful, don't steal his pot of gold, or he will murder your family. If you have enjoyed the podcast, please jump over to iTunes and give the FTC show a like. It's not for my vanity, but iTunes has this weird algorithm, and it really helps get the podcast noticed. You can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and Instagram at either Benji Wright or the FKC Show. If you want to shoot me an email, send it to fkcshow at gmail.com. If I can leave you with something light and fun, hey, try being a stranger's rainbow, right? Just put a smile on somebody's face. Don't dirty your water, which means don't bring in other people's trash and drama to your life, and don't get your skull bashed in by an axe-wielding, jazz-loving maniac. Yeah, it tends to ruin your evening. Thanks for listening, you guys, and we will catch you on the next podcast.